Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hello, I'm Brian Pascoe, the Chief Executive Officer of ICMA. I'm very pleased to welcome you today to this presentation by Deborah Revoltea, who is the Director of the Economics Department of the European Investment Bank and Chief Economist. This is a position she's been in since April 2011. This is part of a series of podcasts uh, typically on global economic picture and the outlook for financial markets through 2022 and beyond. Deborah today uh, will give us a presentation on the investment outlook for corporate activity in Europe based on a very broad-based survey carried out by the EIB. It will provide us with an overview of what to expect in terms of investment activities and recovery as we look ahead. So with that, I would like to welcome Deborah once again and pass her the floor. Deborah. Thank you very much, and it's uh, really a pleasure uh, to have uh, the opportunity of uh, this uh, presentation and uh, to present uh, the result of our uh, flagship economic uh, publication, uh, the EIB Investment Report, which is also based on a unique survey of uh, 12,500 firms uh, in Europe uh, and in the US. It's uh, particularly useful at uh, this point in time uh, to take stock of uh, where we stand uh, in the recovery from the COVID pandemic uh, and what are uh, the challenges. And uh, this year, uh, the title of our annual report is uh, Recovery as a Springboard for Change. And uh, two years after the pandemic, we are actually kind of uh, positive, uh, but uh, we see concern uh, for uh, what is next. We see that the policy support that has been implemented at the European level has been successful in avoiding the worst. Real GDP in investment, particularly if we exclude some one-off effect in the data for Ireland, are back to pre-pandemic levels in just two years. We have to remember that after the global financial crisis, it took more than a decade. But the crisis is not over. We know the effect on Omicron. We see it in our daily life. But we also see that this will have effect on the European economy and on the recovery. But these are still not really quantifiable. At the same time, accelerating investment is crucial to adapt to the new normal and reap the benefit on green and digital transformation. This requires investment and a, a policy focus on investment. And uh, we call on three aspects. The first one is a protect public investment in the recovery. The second is a maximize the impact of the recovery and resilient facility. And the last one is an initiative to unleash private investment. I will go through all these points, starting with taking stock of where we stand. The good news, as I was starting to, is that the recovery from the pandemic this time was relatively fast. In less than two years, we see that European GDP is back to pre-COVID levels, but below trend, while in the US, it's at a trend. Investment has also recovered. What we see is that general government investment and household investment are both above pre-crisis levels. Corporate investment of non-financial corporation 
is at a pre-COVID level. And if we exclude Ireland, as I was saying, where some one-off effects on intangible investments distort the comparison. But the corporate investment without Ireland is again at a pre-COVID level. Overall, without Irish data, real investment is today 0.01% above the Q4 2019 level. As I was saying, this is a remarkable result because the effect of the global financial crisis on investment have been much more long-lasting and it took much longer to recover. This is the result of a very strong policy support. And at the European level, there has been a special focus on protecting jobs. In fact, if we look at the policy support at the European level, the interesting part is comparing the structure. The IMF has estimated that in 2020 and the first half of 2021, additional spending measures plus offered guarantees represented some 27% of EU GDP. That's a, a huge support that is above what we have seen in the US if these allocated guarantees are also considered. And the importance of the way in which the policy support was allocated is that because of the guarantees, if the guarantees will not materialize as liabilities, ultimately Europe will have the um, efficient um, system of having a supported growth while not inquiring in the uh, liabilities. But that's something that we will see in the future when we will understand whether the guarantees will materialize on liabilities or not. But for the time being, we see an impressive fiscal stimulus at the European level. And also we, see, we know that the impressive fiscal stimulus had a particular focus on the job market and on protecting jobs. And in fact, what we have seen is a rather different dynamics in the labor market in the EU and in the US. In the US, we have seen a large increase in unemployment. And then when the recovery was starting, emerging a mismatch in the labor market. In Europe, we have seen much less of this. We didn't see, thanks to the policy support, we didn't see swings in unemployment. And now the readjustment phase in the labor market is associated to much lower mismatch. This is, uh, in the short term, a very positive result at the European level, with less adjustment cost in the labor market after the COVID pandemic. But it may end up leading to some concern more in the medium to long term if we assume that the, the digital and green transition will require a structural shift of labor from a certain sector to other sectors, and the preserved stability of jobs through the crisis may, at a certain point, become a, a factor of delay adjustment in the labor market. 
But so far, I think the jury is still on the positive side and we see the policy of supporting a job and preserving job through the COVID pandemic to be a plus for the European policy response. At the, the policy response was also um, widespread at the firm level. Through our survey, we can ask firms if they receive the policy support, and we um, consider a different form of policy support, subsidies received by firms, but also guarantee credit or deferral of payment. We see that 56% of European firms receive the policy support, mostly in the form of subsidies, guarantees credit or deferred payment. Through our survey, we also try to understand the characteristics of the firms that received the policy support. And what we see is basically that we don't have evidence of widespread misallocation. In fact, what happened is that the policy support was going to the firms most in need because they were particularly affected by COVID and recorded a stronger loss in sales. But it didn't go to firms that before the COVID pandemic could be considered zombie firms. So in fact, the policy support went to those that were in need, but not to, was not lost going to previously zombie firm. Another important result that we see is that the policy support, in fact, was helping the firms to preserve their investment plan. So it was going to firms most in need, but uh, allow the firms, uh, irrespective of the sales loss that they recorded, to preserve their investment plan for the future. In that way, the, it maximizes the capacity of the firms to react to the COVID pandemic and get ready for the opportunities of the future. As such, what we see is that many firms reacted to the pandemic starting to digitalize. What we see is that at the European level, 57% of European firms have reacted to the pandemic taking action. 46% have started to digitalize mostly adopting to working online sales. So it's the easy part of the digitalization process. We also see that some 25% of firms started to transform the processes and products, which is a sign of innovation. This is on the good, on the positive side, but in both cases, there are two elements to consider. First, that in the US, firms were even more reactive, both in terms of digitalization and in terms of innovation. And the second point is that a lot of the transformation, both in digitalization and in innovation, has been on the easy part of the process. So starting a digitalization process or adapting with with incremental adaptation of uh, product uh, processes and service. 
What, uh, what is still to be considered is uh, whether this will have an effect on the increment, on the radical innovation of firms, in the sense that resources and R&D resources, um, engineer resources being transferred to the easy path of innovation rather than to the radical transformation. But again, so far so good. And we think that the first signs of transformation following the pandemic and the still maintaining some focus on advancing digitalization and innovating is a good sign. The pandemic put, put also on all the climate investment, and this is something interesting to look at, also because at the European level, we still see the importance of the EU policy leadership that will be an asset for the future. What we have seen is, in fact, that investment in climate change mitigation in Europe has been stalling this year at 1.5% of GDP, the share of firm investing to deal with climate change somehow decline. But if we look at the future, in our surveys, firms speak about their expectation for future investment. And we see that there is a strong increase in the number of firms that expect to invest more to deal with climate change. In fact, there is a uh, increasing awareness of uh, the need to react to the climate transition and uh, to position for the climate transition on top of a stronger perception of uh, the effect of uh, physical risk on uh, companies. And uh, as I said, firms are starting to plan to react. With this increasing awareness, I think there is another element to mention. The EU has put a strong climate focus angle associated to the recovery plans. And this has a strong catalytic effect on firms' investment in the moment in which uncertainty about the regulation and taxation is perceived as the biggest investment, biggest impediments to investment for climate change. And the fact that Europe has a clear policy direction is then providing a positive anchor for firms to try to address this kind of investment. This is a, a, some stock stock taking so far. So after two years of the pandemic, um, thanks to the positive support, our uh, um, assessment is that the recovery is advancing, is actually has been faster than previously expected. So somehow we conclude with some so far so good. But the risk going forward remain in the recovery. And in particular, we point to three main risks, all having to do something with asymmetries in the recovery. On the first point, asymmetries, I think it's well recognized by now that the effect of the crisis has been asymmetric across sectors and type of firms. 
certain sectors have been particularly affected because of the lockdown and because of the nature of the service and particularly service sectors that, uh, that were uh, hit. Also, firms had a very different capacity to react. Smaller firms have been affected more. Less innovative firms were less capable to react. And what is interesting is that small and medium enterprises and the sectors most affected weighted differently at the economic level in different EU countries. This comes to some countries having stronger shocks and stronger vulnerabilities remaining for firms. What is interesting is that we relate the countries that overall at the macro level have been particularly shocked and where vulnerabilities by sector and by type of firms continue to weight more on the total of the economy. And we compare this with the structural feature of the countries. What we see is that the countries in Europe that entered the pandemic with the weakest financials in terms of debt levels, mostly countries on the Southern Europe, are also countries that out of the pandemic, they may have recovered, but still they face some gap in the full economic recovery and some more persistent vulnerabilities at the microeconomic level. So this tells us that going forward that we may see across the EU countries some asymmetries in the recovery. The second point is related to the policy support. I was mentioning that it was well widespread through firms. It happened in all countries in Europe. But indeed, the modalities in which the support was provided was differentiated among countries. In some countries, almost 80, 90% of firms received the policy support. In other countries, you have 30% of firms receiving policy support. And also when you look at the instrument, you have some countries in which the policy support was mostly allocated in the form of subsidies, other countries in which mostly firms received guaranteed credit. While in the short term, all was positive, all helped the firms to recover, going forward, it will make a difference in the recovery if a firms received a subsidy, and now in the recovery phase, doesn't have to repay it back, or a firm received the credit, and now in the recovery phase, it has to worry about its leverage effect. So um, going forward, asymmetries in the recovery may also be associated to the different uh, form of uh, policy support that was allocated at the European level. Another form of uh, asymmetry that we are worried about uh, is in terms of uh, the divide across territories, firms and people that may have increased uh, through the pandemic. What we look at uh, is uh, at the geographical level and uh, particularly at those that are called the cohesion regions that are the poorest regions at the European level. 
And uh, we also look at the divide between uh, people and uh, firms that is emerging. We see that uh, the crisis has been uh, tougher with the least educated and poses particular challenge for the young. We have an interesting analysis that shows that the COVID-19 induced school closures could reduce a student's lifetime income by about 3.5% on average on the full life of the students of today. In Quijo region, we see that many structural gaps, lack of infrastructure, lack of digitalization, lack of skills, made it much harder for the region to react. And also we see that firms that were non-digital before the crisis or even or small and medium enterprises were much less likely to react. And another element that poses a work that suggests a challenge in terms of inequality for people is that the share of firms that are normally investing in training was dropping through the crisis by 10 percentage points to 52 percent, and more strongly for small and medium enterprises. And the share of firm investing in training remains the lowest in non-transforming firms and less developed region. So what we learn from this is that particularly in terms of income inequality for people and prospect inequality for people, what we see is a crisis that has been particularly tough with the weakest part of the population and the capacity to react has been lower and also the um, corrective mechanism for the future that is education training actually have been decreasing with again the challenge of transformation due to digital and green transition the fact that training and retraining have been declining poses a challenge going forward. So, so far I was using a lot of time to explain where we come, what is the stock taking two years in the pandemic and what are the risks ahead. So to recap, our assessment after two years is relatively positive. The policy support has been effective in avoiding the worst, but we see risk of asymmetries emerging in the recovery, asymmetries across countries, across firms with a divergence across firms, across people and across regions. The point is uh, what can be done and what uh, should be the policy priority going forward. We think that uh, structural issues, the digital transition and the green transition are here to stay. They are predating structural transformation of the economy that require a huge rethinking of the economy, investment and adaptation to the change that are required. COVID adds to the needs of the digital and green transition and calls for additional adaptation, additional investment, and additional retraining. We come then in a situation in which investment is needed. 
And uh, the question uh, is uh, how to get this investment uh, rolling uh, and uh, what uh, can we expect uh, going forward? We come up with uh, three recommendations. The first one is uh, to fully exploit uh, the potential embedded in the recovery and resilient facility. The second one is uh, to protect uh, public investment from fiscal consolidation going forward. And the third one is uh, to focus on barrier to investment and uh, support the private investment going forward. So on the first point, the recovery and the resilient facility is a huge opportunity at the European level. We estimate that the macroeconomic impact in the long term, so even after the, just the deployment of the resources, but the structural effect that the recovery and resilient facility, if well implemented, may have on the economy, is huge, particularly in the area that need it the most. We estimate that uh, the potential effect by 2030 on uh, the economy of Southern Europe is uh, some 5% increase in the size of the economy. In Central Eastern Europe, uh, some 2.7% increase. In Northern and Central Europe, um, it may be slightly lower, but this region will still benefit for a larger part of a spillover effect from the global stronger European economy. This is a sizable opportunity, but implementation is crucial and implementation is the next challenge. What we've seen this year and last year has been the design of programs and the anticipation of the first tranche of resources associated to the recovery and resilient facility, that is the one that was an anticipation before the project got started. From now on, most of the countries will, to get additional transfer from the recovery and resilient facility, will have to demonstrate the implementation of projects and the implementation of reforms. This requires effective management of the facility, effective implementation, and, uh, and uh, capacity to advance uh, with reform. It's a huge challenge and uh, it uh, poses a, a huge challenge for administration in different countries. But again, uh, this is a huge opportunity looking forward. And uh, we think that uh, a lot of uh, political capital in the various countries has to be placed in really maximizing the implementation of this program. The second point that we claim is the importance of preserving public investment through going forward. And our main concern is related to the end of the exemption clause related to the Growing Stability Pact rule. We run some simple estimates and we show that the end of the exemption clause in some in the most indebted countries at the European level will have the effect if the rules are reintegrated exactly like they are today, they will require some primary surplus 
of some 3% of GDP protected for 20 years in the countries where um, traditionally at maximum we have seen uh, uh, in like uh, an example uh, in uh, in the in the 2015 uh, 2019 period, we saw fiscal consolidation around one percent, uh, with the primary surplus around one percent. So, if the rules are reintegrated as is, the amount of fiscal consolidation will be unprecedented. And we know from the previous financial, from the global financial crisis and from previous periods of consolidation in Europe, that consolidation always leads to some deprioritization of public investment, and that we could expect this to happen again. The message that we have is to be mindful of public investment and consider ways, institutional ways to protect the public investment going forward in the recovery, either through more flexibilities in the growing stability pact rule or to some specific clause to protect public investment going forward. And then the last message that we have is in terms of private investment, uh, what we have seen uh, is uh, that we ask to firms uh, what are the main uh, impediment uh, to, to investments. And, uh, um, and we see that uh, the main impediments uh, to investment uh, throughout uh, Europe range from 80% of firms uh, complaining uh, for uh, lack of skills as a main of, uh, impediment, or uh, uh, uncertainty about uh, the future uh, that uh, represents uh, the second biggest impediment for European firms. But also what we have seen is uh, that uh, um, uh, labor market regulation, uh, business regulation uh, still represent impediments, uh, while uh, energy cost uh, access to transport infrastructure uh, uh, have also been increasing uh, as a constraint uh, to firm investment. We think that uh, the environment for firm investment is extremely relevant going forward, particularly because uh, we need much more investment uh, to adapt uh, to the digital and green transition. And uh, the element that constantly emerges is uh, availability of skilled staff as an impediment. This calls for really looking on generating the new skills that are relevant for the digital and green transition and work on skill, work on training, retraining, and look at what can be done at the European level to address the issues. Other important points are related to energy cost, adequacy of infrastructure, we see an uh, infrastructure both on the digital and on the transport side. I think this call for uh, um, looking at uh, the effective functioning of the EU single market, uh, avoiding uh, the friction that we have seen important, uh, also in terms of uh, transport and digital infrastructure. And uh, for energy cost, uh, there is uh, the old discussion on uh, how energy costs are influencing also the inflation outlook. 
we see the risk that uh, this may not be only transitory factors. There are some more structural factors related also to the process of the transition to a net zero economy. We think that the answer should really be to push forward with the net zero transition, particularly pushing forward on the renewable and developing a compensating mechanism that don't distort incentive, but pushing forward for the transition also in terms of energy production at the European level. To conclude, I think the, the key message is that so far so good, we see relatively positive assessment of the capacity of the economy to recover from the pandemic, vulnerability and remain in the recovery and are mostly related to asymmetries. And in terms of policy response, I think there needs to be a very strong focus on investment with the three components of protecting public investment, maximizing the impact of the recovery and resilient facility, and also prioritize initiative with the potential to trigger more private investment. So focusing on skills or risk sharing instrument, but also on policy clarity and public infrastructure as catalyzer for private investment. And with that, I thank you very much. And I invite you to, to read our EIB investment report. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.